Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Because of the time that I spent in the Army, I had a chance to travel all over the world to all kinds of different environments. I have patrolled through the jungles. I've been in the woods. I've been on mountaintops. And I have been through almost every desert on the planet. I've had a chance to see green plants growing. Even in some of the most desolate and austere environments, I've seen these tender green shoots of a plant that are barely hanging on to vegetation, barely hanging on to the sun and to a little bit of moisture. And it never ceases to amaze me how strong those plants can be. I patrolled across the desert in Afghanistan. There was nothing around for a long distance. And there's a broken down village. It looks like it was hundreds of years old. And it looks like it had been abandoned, abandoned centuries ago. And sure enough, those plants started to make their way out of those structures. And it occurred to me, if you leave nature alone long enough, it will start to take back over everything that we've made. I mean, if you think about it, plants can grow just about anywhere. They'll grow on top of the water. They can grow on rooftops and in gutters. They'll even grow in the cracks in a parking lot if you ignore it long enough. And I started to realize just how strong, just how resilient plants are. You get a little bit of seed, a little bit of soil, a little bit of sunlight three S's, and you got the makings of a plant. But there is one plant that cannot and will not grow. It's the plant that we're going to talk about today. Actually, we're not going to talk about this plant today. Jesus is going to talk about this plant today from John chapter 15. There's only one plant anywhere on the planet that will not, cannot grow, and here it is. It's the seed that never gets sowed. It's the plant that is never put in the ground. That's the one that cannot grow. Just about any other environment, any other plant, anywhere else on the planet, that plant can grow, it will grow, if you give a little bit of attention. But this seed cannot grow because this seed never has the chance to take root. In John chapter 15, this very, very famous passage, Jesus is going to describe your relationship to him like a plant growing. And I want you to know a couple of things about what we're going to hear from the Bible today. One, this sermon may hurt some people a little bit. So if you're tuned in from home or if you're watching this, don't get mad and get up and leave before it's over with. Stick with me to the end and I'll give you a little bit of helpful advice on how to make sure that you're producing fruit. This sermon may be very encouraging to some of you out there. But when Jesus is using this analogy, I need you to make a commitment before the day is out. Go back and read chapter 5 from the book of Isaiah. Because in Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet Isaiah is going to describe God's people as a beautiful vineyard. It's God's treasured possession. And the Bible even describes how the vineyard owner, God, how he tenderly takes care of this vineyard. He sings over his vineyard because he loves his vineyard. He cares about his vineyard so much. 
But you'll also read in Isaiah chapter 5, his vineyard didn't produce. And it broke the vineyard owner's heart that the vineyard didn't produce fruit. That vineyard is Israel. And Jesus is using Isaiah chapter 5, Israel, God's vineyard language, to describe Christians today. And I need you to know a couple of things about this passage that we're going to hear. God is the grower. You and I are the vines, but the vine has a responsibility. And that responsibility is to produce fruit. So we're going to talk a lot about producing fruit today. And a farmer knows all about hard work. In fact, if you're not willing to work hard, you're going to go hungry. You're going to go out of business as a farmer. Now, when a farmer starts to get the land ready for the seed, he does a lot of things to the land. He tills up the soil and he prepares the soil. And even when the seed's in the ground, the farmer can pull out the weeds. He puts a lot of care, a lot of attention. There's a lot of stuff that the farmer can put into the soil to make the soil ready for the seed. But the one thing that is guaranteed to grow a crop better than anything else that the farmer puts in the soil is hard work. It's the farmer's sweat that has the biggest impact on a crop. And a farmer that doesn't work hard doesn't eat. A farmer that doesn't work hard, generally speaking, isn't a farmer for very long. Listen to Jesus's words, and I want you to hear every time he uses the word vine, I want you to substitute your first name for that word. When Jesus says the word vine today, I want you to put your first name in that place. This famous passage about God, God's expectations for his people, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me, did I say vine? Every time you see the word branch, I want you to substitute your first name. Forget about the word vine. Forget everything that I just said. Put your first name where you see branch. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. And every Jeff, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, the gardener, removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Say the phrase more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unable to produce fruit itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Man, there is so much that I wish I had the time to say to you about this famous passage. Jesus is using vineyard language, and I assure you, everybody that was listening that day heard Isaiah chapter 5. They were all thinking God's great vineyard is his people, and his people are supposed to produce fruit, and Israel didn't produce fruit, and the vineyard owner got mad at the vineyard. So the vine is Jesus. And you and I are connected to Jesus and we're the branches. Now, Jesus uses some pretty stark language today. Basically, what he's telling us is God is a ruthless farmer. And he won't accept anything less 
than fruit. If you were to go back and to read those other books of the New Testament, those first three books of the New Testament, you would see Jesus using analogy about a a master who gives some money to his servants and he expects his servants to go out and to make a profit. I want you to bring back not just the money that I gave you, but you better bring back more. And the one servant that doesn't bring back a profit, he casts him out of his presence, calls him a wicked servant, and ultimately the language Jesus uses sends him to hell. Jesus uses this language in a parable about soil and he's talking about our heart. And he says, some people's hearts will produce 60-fold, some people's heart will produce 30-fold, some 100-fold of crop. But there is no example in the Bible of a heart or soil that is good and right with God that doesn't produce a crop. And today, really what Jesus is describing for us is you have wheat and weeds growing up in Jesus' church. When they're new and tender, it's almost impossible to tell the difference. Is that a wheat or a weed? But when they get older, it's very easy to tell the difference. Anybody want to take a guess at what makes it obvious the difference between wheat and weeds when it gets mature and grown? It's fruit. It's producing a crop that makes the difference. And while the field is growing and the wheat and the weeds are growing together, the farmer spends all of his time and all his, all his attention on the wheat to make sure that it grows more crop. Lots of pastors, lots of people have asked the question about this passage. What exactly do you mean by fruit, Jesus? Because this is obviously a big deal. Check this out, y'all. He will say, I expect you to produce fruit. Oh, wait, I expect you to produce more fruit. And by the end of the passage today, twice he will say, I expect you to produce much fruit. So obviously, this is a big deal. What is the fruit we're talking about? And some have said, well, the fruit is holiness. It's a life of purity, a life lived following Jesus' example. Other people have said it's a life that is submitted to Jesus. It's a life that follows Jesus' leadership. But I don't think you can miss it from the end of the passage today. I can't be faithful to the Bible without you hearing, without a shadow of a doubt, this fruit that he's talking about is more followers of Jesus. It's followers of Jesus helping people that are not followers of Jesus become followers of Jesus. And the followers of Jesus that are not doing that, there's a real problem with this kind of plant. A plant that doesn't produce fruit, there's a problem here. Now in Jesus' day, if you owned land, the prized possession in your land were the vineyards. It was the, the, the grapes that you would produce. This thing will give you more income. You have more uh, energy and more attention spent on the vineyards than all of the rest of the land. In fact, if you didn't have enough money or enough time, you would neglect all of the rest of the crops and spend your time and your money on a vineyard. And Jesus knew the people in Jesus' day, because he grew up in a culture of agriculture, they knew that grapes only grow on one-year-old wood, which means that when the vineyard owner goes through the vineyards, if he sees a part of the wood that's not growing grapes, he'll snap off that part of the wood and he'll throw it away. 
when he gets enough of that wood together, he'll put it in a bundle and he'll burn it and he'll take the ash and he'll throw it on the plants to create some fertilizer to make more wood. Snapping off the end of that wood usually happens in the fall. And then over the winter time, that tender end of the wood that just got pruned or snapped off would get hard. And then in the spring, when the growing season starts, a little cluster of grapes would start to appear on that pruned off, hardened piece of one-year-old wood. Between one year and five years, those ends of the vineyard, those branches would produce big clusters of grapes only if the vineyard owner cared enough to snap off the stuff that wasn't producing and didn't belong there. And are you sitting there right now thinking to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, does that mean that God's going to reach down into my life and snap off a couple of things that don't need to be there and prune those out of my life so that there is space, there is time for the things that do need to be in my life? Because if that's what's going through your mind right now, that's exactly the language that Jesus is using. Listen, I don't want you to think that the gardener, the the vine owner is calloused or he's mean about it. He tenderly, compassionately removes the stuff that doesn't need to be there. And for the vine or the branch, that is very, very painful. And the branch may even be asking the vine owner, why would you do something like this? Because it hurts so bad. But the vine owner knows something that the branch doesn't know. If I don't get this out of your life right now, it's going to get in the way. And maybe it's even a good thing, but it's keeping you from the best thing. So I'm going to have to snap this out of your life, and it's going to hurt a little bit. But if I don't get this out of your life, there's no way that you can embrace the best thing. There's no way that you can grow and produce fruit the way that I expect my vine to grow and produce fruit. And I hope if you were wrestling with the Bible personally, you got to the part where Jesus said, without me, you are unable to produce fruit. You see, I think we need to be reminded from time to time, the fruit that Jesus is talking about is not just doing good things, not making the world a better place. Listen, there's a million things that you can put your energy into tomorrow to try to make the world a better place. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to make the world a better place. But I'll tell you this, 10,000 years from now, all of that stuff will be completely worthless. It's advancing the gospel. It is introducing people to the savior of their souls. It is introducing somebody to the one that can change them at the inside level. That and that alone matters 10,000 years from now. So there's a lot of good stuff that I could spend my time doing tomorrow. But there's really only one or two of the things that I can do that last for eternity. And those are the things that produce fruit. I have made a personal commitment just recently. This may shock some of you. It actually may offend a couple of you. But I've been spending a lot of time trying to convince some people that just seem like they're unwilling to share their faith, unwilling to make disciples. I've been trying to convince them how big of a deal this is to them and how much the gardener expects this of his crop. 
And I've realized that no amount of arguing, no amount of wrestling with them, trying to convince them is going to change things. And so I made a personal decision just recently. I'm going to spend all of my time and all of my energy on the people that are willing to share their faith. Maybe they just don't know how to do it very well and they need a little bit of coaching. Maybe they are figuring out how to do it better. Those are the people that I'm gonna spend my time and my energy on instead of focusing my time and energy on the people that are unwilling to do it. Because unwilling means that there's a very serious problem at the vine level, not at the intellect, not I I wanna do it, just don't know how to do it. And basically, what I want you to hear is God is this ruthless gardener who demands, it's not an option, and none of us in this room are exempt, demands that his people produce fruit. And if this is starting to sting a little bit, I want you to think about what is it that gets the farmer up in the worst weather, on the most difficult conditions? What gets that farmer breaking their back and pouring their heart and soul into the land. What gets them up day after day working in the field? It's the hope that at the end of the season, there's going to be a crop and I'm going to reap the rewards of hard work over a year because of the crop that will be waiting for me at the end of the season. And I just want you to know something. Don't ever, ever give up hope on the gospel. You see, hope in the gospel breaks up the hardest hearts. I'm talking about your family member right now that you're convinced no matter what I say to them, they would never embrace my faith. I'm talking about a coworker or a friend that you're struggling with, maybe even a little bit, of, a little bit scared to talk to about Jesus. Hope in the gospel, not in yourself, breaks up the hardest field. It breaks up the hardest heart. When a farmer gets up, and prepares the soil, they do all that they can to put the seed in the ground and give the seed a chance to thrive. But the farmer also knows, I don't control the wind that's going to have to pollinate this plant. And I have no control over the sun that has to rise and shine down on the plant. And I don't control when it rains or how much it rains. I don't control even that seed laying in the ground, turning into a sprout that will become a full-grown plant. I don't have any control over any of that stuff. I do my part, and then if God doesn't do his part, we don't eat. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us to hear God is expecting his people to work by his power. It is actually God that produces the fruit, not you and I, but it's you and I working hard that God uses to produce eternal fruit, fruit that lasts for 10,000 years. Listen to how Jesus wraps this famous passage up, starting in verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Now say much fruit out loud. He's going to say this twice today because you can do nothing without me. And that may get you a little bit upset, but I think you need to understand where he's coming from. I am the vine. You are the branches. What can the branch possibly do separated from the from the vine? You can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, check this out. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Does that mean that I get the winning lottery ticket today, Jesus? Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And here is the answer to the winning lottery ticket question. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit. And listen to this word and prove to be my disciples. When Jesus is talking about producing fruit, he is saying that the proof of your faith is the fruit that you produce. Actually, I really believe that at this point, Judas is entering into the minds. Judas Iscariot, you know, the one who betrayed him, is entering into the minds of Jesus' followers. And they're hearing faithful and faker. And for a long time, we didn't know that Judas was a faker. We all thought he was one of us. And then at the Last Supper, he left us and he went out and he betrayed Jesus. And quite honestly, it shocked all of us. Hey, we never saw this one coming. And Jesus, they're probably asking the question, how do we recognize the difference between a faithful and a faker? How do we know that somebody's faith is genuine versus somebody who, listen to me, goes to church, knows all the right answers from the Bible, but inside, it's not real. It's not life-changing. How do we know the difference? Jesus is saying, that's an easy one. I'll prove it to you. The difference is in the fruit because you can't produce fruit on your own. It's actually my father producing fruit through you. That's how you know the difference between somebody who is genuine in their faith and somebody who's a faker. And the guy or the gal that knows all the right answers, that goes to church but has no concern for the lost, doesn't care at all whether their neighbor or their friend or their family member is going to spend an eternity without Christ in hell, there's something deeply wrong inside that heart. And Jesus is saying the fruit always represents the vine, and the fruit can't happen without the vine. And I am in you, and you are in me, and if, we're, if I'm working in you and you're in me, then we're going to produce fruit. If you just know the right answers, if you just go to tr church a lot, you're not going to produce fruit. Now, today, three times, Jesus has said, my father expects you to produce fruit. He expects you to produce more fruit. By the way, that word in its original language just means a little bit of fruit. And then twice he says, actually, he expects you to produce much fruit. And that word in the original language means bumper crop. So obviously, it's not an option here for God's people not to produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, when I'm in you, it's going to happen because I'm the one producing the fruit. Yeah, you work and you prepare the ground but in the end, I make it rain. In the end, I make the sunshine. In the end, I'm the reason why that dead seed in the ground sprouts into a sprout and eventually becomes a full-grown plant with lots and lots of harvest. I'm the reason that happens, and I just happen to do it through you instead of doing it on my own. And what Jesus is calling his people to do is to just be faithful and to just be um, connect, stay connected to the vine. That's essentially what he's asking his people to do. Now we have to wrestle with something here, though, because he says, I tell you what, if you're connected to me, you can ask God for anything you want, and I promise you, he will give that to you. 
Anybody watching online, anybody in this room ever asked something for God and didn't get it? Raise your hand. Oh, you guys are all terrible Christians. No, no, no. What he's essentially saying here is he is talking about how closely our heart and God's heart are connected. When you're connected to the vine, when your heart is close to God's heart, then you can ask God for what you want. And God, like a loving father, is going to lavish on you what you ask for from him. Can I ask God to give me the winning lottery ticket? Yeah, go for it. But is there any guarantee that he's going to give that to you tonight? No, because perhaps that's not the father's will for you. Maybe you're asking for this out of a selfish heart instead of out of a heart that, listen to these words, glorifies the father. And what Jesus is really describing here is, listen, when my people are so closely connected with me, follow me for just a second, that their heart perfectly matches the heart of my father. In fact, my father has placed his heart into their heart. Then they can ask for whatever's inside their heart. And the father says, yes, of course, I'm going to give that to you. Yes, I want to give that to you because I have placed my heart inside your heart. And when you ask for it from the heart, I love to give you what you've asked for because what you've asked for is really what I wanted you to ask for. In fact, this is how I'm glorified by God's people asking for God's heart, for the things that come deep in their heart, and it's because God has already placed his desires deep in their heart. So when you ask for it, sure, he wants to give that to you. And I personally have asked for some things from God, and his answer was a resounding, no, Jeff, are you insane? If I gave that to you right now, your life would be a disaster. And I, know, I try not to, I do sometimes get angry, but I try not to get mad or throw a fit or pout with God. I try to remind myself, maybe I'm not asking for the things that God has in store for me. Maybe my heart is not perfectly aligned with the Father's heart right now, and what I'm asking for doesn't line up with the Father's heart for me. And therefore, his answer has to be no. Jesus says, listen, when my people ask and my father gives, he loves to give it. He lavishes on them because he's glorified by giving them the things that they're asking for, which is why for more than 30 years, every day of my life, I have been praying for the souls of some of my family members. And I've been praying, God, make it happen. Make it happen in their lifetime. Use me, use anybody, just make it happen in their lifetime because I know this is not only for their good, but this would glorify you, God in heaven, if their soul radically changed and they become a total follower of you. I've been praying for the things that I believe would glorify the Father. I've been praying for fruit. God, would you use it? Would you grow people? And would you use me to be the reason why they become a follower? Now, at this point in the passage, I got more that I want us to look at in just a second. But at this point in the passage, I think it's time for us to get a little bit honest with where things are in Two Cities Church right now. It's the midpoint of the year. In fact, we're just a little bit past the midpoint of this year, and I have been struggling greatly. My heart has been wrestling deeply with the fact that we haven't seen a whole lot of people go from dead to born again in 2022. 
that we haven't baptized a whole lot of people in 2022 in Two Cities Church. And I've been really, really wrestling with this, God. Is it my fault? Father, is there something wrong with me? Because if you're the branch and Jesus is the vine, or if you're the the vineyard owner and Jesus is the vine and I'm the branch on the end and we're not seeing people come to faith in Christ, we're not seeing people be baptized and start to follow Jesus. If we're not teaching people to follow Jesus who can learn how to teach others to follow Jesus, then maybe we're doing something wrong. In fact, God, maybe we need to close the doors to this church if we're not reaching out and making an impact. And I'm going to confess something to you. I have had the chance personally dozens of times this year to stand in big groups and to share the gospel and purely 100% because of the Holy Spirit, many men and women have come to faith in Christ. But I've not been sharing my faith personally one-on-one with people like I should. And perhaps part of the reason why we're not baptizing at Two Cities Church is because I personally haven't been talking to people in town one-on-one. I've been doing it in big group settings, but not one-on-one. And maybe one of the reasons why we're not seeing people come to faith in Christ and be baptized in this church is because I haven't been personally doing what I know every Christian is supposed to do. And I want not just me, but I want all of us to passionately pursue the Father on this one. To say, God, the heartbeat of Two Cities Church is to go into dark places and push back the darkness and introduce people who are far from Jesus to your son. And if that's not happening, then God, change whatever has to be changed in me. Snap off whatever needs to be snapped off and pruned out of my life so that that will happen because this is what causes the angels to rejoice in heaven more than anything else. One lost sinner coming to faith in Christ is a bigger celebration in heaven, Jesus' own words, than 99 faithful Christians who are simply following Jesus today but not sharing that message with somebody who's far from him tomorrow. And I want us to wrestle with the fact that at this point in 2022, we have yet to see the Father radically change people's hearts and baptize them here in our church. And I'm going to be the first one to say, is it my fault? But I want you, who are faithfully connected to Two Cities Church, to ask the question, God, is it because I haven't been spreading seed? If is, is it because I haven't been talking to people far from you about your son, Jesus? For some of you out there, you've been doing it. And this is the point in the sermon where I really want to encourage you. And what you are probably dealing with right now is just struggling with, how do I do this better, Jeff? Because I'm trying, but it just doesn't seem like I'm producing much fruit. It doesn't seem like the Father is producing much fruit. Well, I'm going to give you a suggestion in just a second, shamelessly using the word fruit and turning it into an acrostic for you. But for others of you out there that are sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I haven't invited anybody to church. I haven't invited anybody to my group. I haven't invited anybody to Christ in a long, long time. Then let this part of the sermon sit heavy in your lap. Because Jesus says, this is the proof that you're my disciple, that you're producing fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, we got a real problem here. So for those of you who are trying to do it, but need a little bit of 
advice, need a little bit of help along the way, can I give you five things to keep in mind if you are going to go talk to somebody about Jesus this week? And I'm going to challenge all of us to talk to somebody about Jesus this week. First, it is the faithful presentation of the gospel. We're not asking people to come to church. We're asking them to come to Christ. We're explaining to them who Jesus is and what he did for them on the cross 2,000 years ago. Yes, I want people to come to church. Yes, I would love for them to get connected with your group, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is getting them connected to Christ, and oftentimes it happens through church attendance, through going to your group, that they finally start to get their soil of their hearts get softened enough that you can be the one to explain who Jesus is and what he's done to them. This is exactly what we mean by fruit, faithfully presenting the gospel, and then the rest is up to God. He and he alone turns that into a crop. And I need you to recognize from Jesus' own words today that the branch can't do anything on its own. And when Jesus said, hey guys, I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm going to go back to my Father in heaven, but I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm not going to turn you into an orphan. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and he is going to work in you. He is going to live in you. He is going to be the reason why you can produce fruit. So I guess it's uh, at this time to say, hey, listen, it's not our fancy words. It's not some memorized presentation that's really going to matter here. It is a absolute total reliance on the Holy Spirit. That's going to be the thing that God uses to change somebody else's heart. But I also need you to recognize that every person that you talk to is different. They're at a different stage of life, different problems, different challenges. And there's nothing wrong with memorizing a good gospel presentation or two. I our church challenges you to memorize how to share your faith by just telling everybody your story. In two words, tell everybody who you were before Christ changed you, what happened when he changed you, and how he can change somebody else like he changed you. There's nothing wrong with memorizing something. What I'm saying is treat people as individuals because every soil is different. Every person's situation is different. So you lovingly, patiently, graciously, but you don't give up. You continue to share Jesus with somebody and you treat them a little bit different than you do the person next to them because what's going on in the person next to their, them's life is different than this one. And ultimately, what we're saying is, God, I need you to put into my heart Jesus' heart. I need you to give me a heart that imitates Jesus' love for the lost. Because Jesus was willing to leave heaven and come to earth for me when I was in my sin. He was willing to become my sacrifice on a cross and ultimately to give his life so that he could rescue me and you back from your sin. And if you and I don't share the same heart for the lost than Jesus has, then maybe there's something wrong with you and I saying that we're closely connected to the vine right now. Maybe what we just need to do is stop everything and go back tonight and to just say, God, forgive me, and I need you to give me love for the lost like Jesus has love for the lost. And here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, the results are up to God. 
They're not up to you. So I'm not even asking you to measure success by the fruit. I'm asking you to measure success by spreading seed. Spreading a lot of seed, spreading seed very generously, spreading seed very wide by doing your best to present the gospel and to present it well. But at the end of the day, the rain, the sun, the wind, all of that is up to the Father. It's not up to me. So the results are up to the Father. They're not up to me. And I'm really going to ask you, would you take a challenge today, church? Would you take up this challenge? Second thing on the screen, would you plant one seed this week? You're not exactly sure how to do that. When the video plays at the end of the service, Pastor Troy is going to tell you exactly what to do next. Would you just this week make a commitment, God, I'm going to plant one seed, and then what happens next is up to you. Maybe somebody's reading or hearing this sermon, and you realize, uh-oh, I'm the weed, because now the plant is starting to grow, and there's no fruit. There's no crop at the top of it, and God, I need you to take a weed and turn it into wheat. That's going to take a miracle. God, I need you to change my heart. I need to be born again today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.